0: Welcome back to another review show. Doing things a little different this week. Normally, we cover individual matches, but with the combination of having midweek matches with the weekend matches, and also the fact that the weekend matches were mainly snoozers, we're going to talk a little bit more in general about what the results from the entire week mean for some key teams. We're starting it off with the Manchester Derby and what the huge win means for United and what the loss means for City. We then roll into Chelsea's potential massive week after beating Liverpool, then their matchup tomorrow with Everton, who is arguably their biggest competition to finish in the top four. Then we dig into Liverpool's absolute implosion after losing to not only Chelsea, but also suffering their sixth defeat in a row at Anfield to a relegation battling Fulham. Then finally, we wrap it up with a US Men's National Team update. You're listening to the Two Touch Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Douglas, And as always, I'm joined by Tim Bones Bouts. This is episode 31. Let's get started. All right, welcome back to another review show. We're changing it up a little bit this week because for a couple reasons. Well, one, we had midweek fixtures that we need to touch on, uh, just really highlighting the, the big takeaways from it. But also, this this past weekend, the the Premier League matchups were just dog shit. So, I mean, all of that ex- outside of the, uh, the Manchester Derby, which we're going to kick it off with. But, uh, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit higher level this week and just – get you up to speed on what's worth taking away from another kind of crazy week in the Premier League. So let's jump into it. Let me just put it straight forward for you. I'm a happy camper today. So not only did Manchester United beat Manchester City in the Manchester Derby, but also Liverpool lost a big loss. Their sixth loss in a row at Anfield, which we'll get into in a little bit. So, First, starting with the Manchester Derby, the result of the match, 2-0 to my boys, Manchester United. Game started off real interesting with, within one minute, Martial of all people, basically has just been a dead man walking. He's got the ball running. Parallel? I don't know how you describe it. Running across the box with the ball. Gets swarmed by a bunch of Manchester City defenders. Then Gabriel Jesus decides to kind of just trail him, clip him, take him down. PK awarded. And the man, Bruno, slots it away. Putting Manchester United up 1-0 just after one minute. So, I think the match, for the most part, went as expected after that. Manchester City had a ton of possession. They just have more individual quality up and down the pitch than anyone else in this team or in this league. But they couldn't quite crack the defense of Manchester United today, which just feels really weird to say, And because the whole unit just played outstanding. Raheem Sterling, another Manchester derby gone, where he did not score. He has not scored in the Manchester derby, despite having like 60 total shots in it. Uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka Juan, Juan put him in his pocket once again. The guy just absolutely shuts down Sterling every time they play. And then, with all that being said, with Manchester City kind of dominating after going down 1-0, just after the start of the second half, of all people, Luke Shaw made a ridiculous run from basically half field with the ball. Quick give and go, gets the ball back in the box and slots it away to put the team up 2-0. And then after that, it was just Manchester United holding on, riding it out. I mean, City's just ridiculous as far as how... It's a, it was a wave after wave after wave of attacks. But United were up for the challenge and and shut them out. So I'm pretty fucking happy because I, I'm telling you, I'm, I was not confident going into this match, especially when I saw the lineups get announced and we had both Marcial and Dan James starting. And what's crazy is mainly Marcial, he has been, I don't know, he's been on my shit list for a long time. Bones, you've been an apologist for forever. But today was the first match, I think, all season where he really showed up. He didn't get on the score sheet. He did fuck up right in front of goal. He basically had a short-range attempt ederson he hit it right at ederson he made ederson look great but everything else he did for the match was phenomenal he was lively he was making runs his hold-up play was phenomenal which has never ever 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 been the case uh he just did everything we needed him to do and so i mean he there's a strong argument he was man of the match i mean luke shaw obviously got the goal but also was very dangerous numerous other times he could have had a he actually almost scored in the fourth minute with an had another attempt inside the box which was pretty crazy so it was a weird match I'm very happy. I could rant on it for days. I'm biased. So I'll shut up and let Bones speak to this for a little bit. Bones, what was your impression? What would you think?
1: I'm just going to make a couple of points and then kick it back to you. Actually, kick it back back to you with a question. So my few points, I still don't understand why Victor Lindelof is starting over Eric Bailly. I guess in this match, it didn't really matter because they ended up holding strong in the back and got the win. But I, I just still, if Eric Bailly is is healthy. He's proven that he's a better center back pair with Harry McGuire. So I, I don't get why they're doing that separately. It was just nice to hear that Anthony Martial and, and hear you say that Anthony Martial wasn't just out there killing grass, but you know, uh, it would have been nice to see him on the score sheet. He fucked up that, that point blank range attempt. Uh, it was, it was gross, but what I want to, kick back to you, is how do you think Dean Henderson performed? What do you think this means? Does this mean that De Gea is on his way out this summer?
0: All right, I'll start off with the Lindelof comment because I'm with you. I just want to see Bailly play every single match from here on out. And I think the only way I can justify it in my head is that going to this match, we knew that we would get pinned back for majority, if not the entire match. And when that's the case, our defense isn't very spread out, we can stay compact. And in those cases, Lindelof is fantastic positionally. Where the pairing of Maguire and Lindelof get in trouble is when United don't need to be a sit back counterattacking team. So and that in so what happens when we are, when we have possession, when we build up from the back, when we're holding the line up at half, we are those two are vulnerable because they're slow. So in those cases, is fantastic because he can recover better than Lindelof. That wasn't necessary today. In fact, it was really interesting to see. The match started off, the first 25 minutes, there was no sit-back and counterattack. Manchester United was very aggressive, and they were actually pressing City in their defensive third. So basically if, if Ederson started with the ball, there was a very high press, Bruno, Marcial, Dan James and Rashford were just harassing the defenders. If they got the ball, then if city established possession in the middle third of the pitch, then that's when United would drop back off and make sure that they were behind the ball and get set into essentially a low block. So it's kind of this weird hybrid low block with a high press, depending on the, where the possession was getting established. So I think that's why Lindelof was okay to play today. Obviously, in hindsight, it's very easy to say that. Uh, there was a couple times where I was just like, what is he doing? He, he, late in the match, he completely slipped and fell down and gave Raheem Sterling an open header six yards from the box. Fortunately, Raheem Sterling has maybe had the ball four times in his life because he's five foot seven that he couldn't get it on frame. So that was weird. But, sorry, going back to your actual original question about Dean Henderson. He stepped up. I mean, he didn't have to do anything too crazy today, but he did make probably two to three big saves. And not only that, he was aggressive coming out of the net when he needed to be, which is something you never see De Gea do. And he also was very vocal in organizing the def- the defense. And it, again, it's just these small attributes that you don't get from De Gea. And I am a loyal... I have loyalty to these players. De Gea went was has been with the team for ten years. He stuck with us through really the hardest part in recent club history. He's a reason why we did as well as we did in those down years because he would just get assaulted with shots every single match because their defense was so bad and he would come up with a huge save after huge save. So, you know, he's a he's a Manchester United player, but we're getting into a weird, we're in an awkward position because Dean Henderson is going to have a stretch of games. So far he's started, I think three in a row. And as a, I think he's, he's had a clean sheet in each of them. Granted the two other matches, he had very little to do, but this was a huge match and he performed very well. And if he keeps carrying this out, as long as De Gea is gone De Gea is in Spain right now, because his girlfriend just had their first baby. Congratulations. Um, I think United have to make the tough decision to try to move De Gea on this summer. I don't think it's going to be that easy because De Gea's wages are insane. Uh, so I really only think there might be... I think that I can only think of one team that would come in and pay some sort of transfer fee for him plus take on his wages, and that would be PSG. So I think it's just going to be very hard for United to move De Gea on. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a weird situation, but I'm very excited about Dean Henderson. I think if United can sell De Gea this summer... They probably need to because that would just be smart business. And that's just how it goes sometimes. So, yeah, that's that's how I feel about that. But that's depressing me, so I'm going to drop that topic. Just, man, there's so many good things to say about this. Like, ending Manchester City's win streak, they were on 21 going for 22, I believe.
1: Yeah, that's pretty poetic. I'll give you that. How sweet is that?
0: Yeah. Also also yeah. on the same weekend where Leicester had a very late come from behind win. So if we didn't win today, we would have fallen to third. So you know, a single point off a of city would have been a huge value. We got 3. I I'm I'm ecstatic and I don't know, man. I just when United shows up and they actually stick to the game plan and like they're a good fucking team, like Yeah. There's but, a lot to be excited about.
1: What would you say this does this indicate anything to you about the rest of the season? What what does it mean? Obviously they I mean, you can say, oh my god, it was so great. We're gonna be t- we're gonna we're gonna leapfrog city, blah that's probably not gonna happen. So what does it mean <laughs> for the rest of the city? Well Or um, rest of the season, excuse me.
0: You know, I think there's still there's still a lot of games left and there's still a log jam, so it's it doesn't oh. really, it's it doesn't say much. I mean, it's 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 huge, right? If we lost, then I'd be pretty nervous. But we won, and we need to keep doing what we're doing. There might not be another point taken off Manchester City for the rest of the year. So that's how big those three points are. We need to finish top four. I don't care where in the top four. I don't care if we're coming fourth versus second. It's not that big of a deal to me, as long as I think there needs to be some focus shifted towards Europa League. And it's interesting because through all the European tournaments this year, Manchester United has had arguably the toughest toughest draw at each step. And that's no different this time. They're playing AC Milan. AC Milan might be like – I mean, they're a top five team in Europa League. So shift focus to that. Get by them. Sucks that we have to play on this early, but if you knock them out now, that's one less team you have to worry about in Europa League. So, I don't know. Yeah, I think – Awesome win today, but it's it's not to be cliché, but it's back to work tomorrow.
1: Initially when I when you said there's a lot of games left, I thought you were going to say after year after weeks of spe, skepticism about oh, we're not going to catch city. I thought you were going to say, "Oh, I think we we can we might be might be able to do to do it." And I I was about to just jump down your throat right there well, or just make fun of you, I don't know.
0: I mean, <laughs> United's done this before. Uh, I can't remember what year it was, but Arsenal had a similar lead over us.
1: And uh,
0: but that's Jason. also Arsenal.
1: Arsenal what are you talking
0: about. Okay, so I know you're new to the sport, but Arsenal were one of the best teams in England for a long time. Have you ever heard of? Uh, I believe they're called the Invincibles.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. No. That's that's fine. But this is Arsenal we're talking about. They are notorious losers, other than the Invincibles. <laughs> I mean, outside of that, when when did they ever win anything?
0: <laughs> oh my god! Uh, so you don't think you don't think Arsenal's Arsenal's just a mediocre club from England?
1: No, they're a, they're a top six club. You just, or, can you just yeah one of the losers? But dude, I'm saying that they never since Alexis Sanchez left, they haven't been in the Champions League. They haven't even come close to the Champions League. What I'm saying is when. When the season's on the line, when they need a win or need something to get into Champions League or stay in Champions League, they can't do it. They fuck up. Well, I mean, think about you know how many trophies did they win, or you know how often were they in top two um, since the Invincibles? Do you want me to look that up because it's a lot? No, let's just move on. <laughs> I know you're going to say, "Oh, we're taking too much time." Uh...
0: No, I, I'm, I'm, because I can edit out the time that I, I'm going to take to look up the actual number. Ars, the fact that you referenced since Alexi Sanchez has left Arsenal shows how little you know about Arsenal
1: through the '90s, early 2000s. How, how, no, how, how is. What I just said? How is that Wenger, incorrect? Wenger, that they haven't ma- that they Wenger's haven't made Champions League since Alexi Sanchez left. That right, is correct. So
0: you're that I know that's not the point. There's a lot more to Arsenal than since Alexi Sanchez has I'm left. I'm aware, Arsenal.
1: but but again, when how how often was was Arsenal winning anything since the Invincibles? Do you realize
0: Alexi Sanchez wasn't part of the Invincibles?
1: Oh my God, are you serious? So when
0: did Alexi Sanchez leave? He like, left 2014? in fourteen. 2015 no, no, 16 16 Okay, Invincibles was t- 2003. Dude, I, I know
1: what the Invincibles it was like oh so, 0- so do you think they 0-4? just
0: do you think they just sucked from 2003 all the way to when Sanchez left? Did they win anything? All right, I'm looking it up. You're just throwing out blanket bullshit. Since since 2003 they've finished in the top 4 13 times. They've won the FA Cup one,
1: two, three, four, five times. All right. <sighs>
0: Dude, yeah. They were in the Champions League from 2000 through 2017.
1: Yeah, I guess that makes sense because Bayern knocked them out. <laughs> and that was the last time that they were I in the just,
0: I can't believe... <laughs> Do you know Arsene Wenger's the second most successful manager? Yes, I know history? that. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm sorry, but if you're just going to make, as much as I hate Arsenal, they do deserve credit for, for, for the history all of right. their club. All right,
1: all right. All
0: right. All right. Let's move on since you're, you're getting cranky now since I exposed you. Let's move on to a positive thing for you. Chelsea's had a pretty good week so far. So that midweek, is true. midweek. Chelsea win versus Liverpool. What does that mean? Well, I would say this is only the second time. Well, no, I I guess third time since Tuchel's taken over where they've had a, Chelsea's had a legitimate challenge. So they played Manchester United and they drew 0 0. They played Atletico and they won 1 0, which was, in my book, a huge upset. And then they play Liverpool and they won 1 0. And that's huge because at the time of that match, Chelsea and Liverpool are part of that logjam on the outside of the top 4 looking in. So, taking 3 points off of one another is huge, big time momentum. Chelsea also has another big match which I actually in my book it almost seems like the biggest match of the Tuchel era is tomorrow. We're recording this on Sunday. They play Everton on Monday. Everton in in my book is the biggest challenger to finish in the top four. I think it's between Chelsea and Everton. There's a bunch of other teams there, but I, I just, I'm not as convinced by them. Bones, I know you and I have had a lot of conversations off the recording about uh, whether we believe in Everton or not. You're not in the camp, which you have valid points. I get it. But if Chelsea can take three points off of Everton tomorrow, I, it's premature, but they're probably good for top four then. Like this might be, this might decide their top four finish. Am I getting a little little too out of myself there?
1: No, I I don't think so at all. And, you know, Everton is one of those teams. I think they're very much like the Leicester that either shows up or they don't. I I think there's no in-between. There's no just gritting out games and willing wins like, you know, like United's been known to do in the past. But, uh, What?
0: I don't know if I agree. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, I mean, what, what do you think they just did against Manchester United? Was that not willing it out? Like, they're getting their asses kicked.
1: All right, Trev. Regardless, if we're talking about Chelsea, I thought that this past match against Liverpool was probably the most complete performance I've seen from Tuchel's Chelsea. I thought that offensively, they got themselves into the best positions. To score it, but also we're taking very good chances. Uh, not all of them converted, obviously, but I thought they looked really good. And their defense, uh, and I'll give it to your boy who you actually said you were impressed by the last match. I said, yeah, I've never really been high on the guy. Andreas Christensen was probably the unsung hero of the match. So, you know, I think that they're destined for a top-four finish. I mean, if they beat... If they
0: beat Everton tomorrow, I, I buy that, but I, I'm, I'm still Team Everton in this head-to-head matchup. I do have to say, though, with Liverpool, it was the first match since Tuchel's taken over where they didn't dominate possession. And I actually think that's a good thing because it shows that they can win in a different way. And they actually, to your point, they, this was, they looked really good despite not having the, the dominant proportion of the, of the possession. They had more shots than they have recently. They had more shots on target. Still not a high number, but it's more than what you've been seeing. But with that said, their defense is still phenomenal. Their attacking is like still hasn't figured it out. So tugel has been charged for 10 matches now. They've scored one goal or less in seven of them. I think pretty much all the other ones, the other three, they scored two goals. And that's really bad. Like, if you just heard that stat, you'd be like, okay, well, that team's not doing well.
1: Yeah.
0: Wrong. But that's because they've also kept eight clean sheets in that span. And I thought that was kind of a bullshit narrative that people were hanging on to because the first, like, five matches were against bottom third teams, So, big whoop. But now they've done it against Atletico. They did it against Manchester United. They did against Liverpool, hindsight, Liverpool might not be that big a deal that they did it against them because they're just so broken, which we'll get into in a second, but still you can't deny it phenomenal record defensively, so yeah, yeah, tomorrow tomorrow's a big match it's uh do you wanna uh wanna have a little bit of the Guinness bet?
1: yeah, we haven't had one of those in a while,
0: yeah, yeah, so. Uh, well, it's obvious. I'll take Everton. You'll take Chelsea. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll go with – how many do you want to do? Two. Okay, we'll go with two. Straight up, two Guinness on the line. I can't wait to add – basically, I'm not going to have to buy a drink when when lockdown's done because you're <laughs> yeah, just going to be true. buying me all these Guinnesses. It's going to be great.
1: That's true. Although, I think mean, we're notorious for really sitting our asses at a bar for – an entire day in freaking <laughs> Guinness. So I think I can knock it out and all, all in one sitting.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. Okay. Basically it could be the best week ever for Chelsea. If they win tomorrow, it's definitely worth, worth keeping an eye on. Cause it, like something's got to break with this top four finish group, right? Like Leicester yep. shaky, Manchester United got through big three points. If they had lost today, then it would have been even more of a log jam. And uh, it's it's getting it's getting competitive. And we can't ignore the fact that West Ham's still sitting in the middle of it, so it can't be too disrespectful. They they're hanging in there. True, true, uh, true. Okay, so Chelsea's good week. Well, it created the start of a horrible week for Liverpool. So quick recap. Liverpool had two matches this past week, midweek against Chelsea, they lost one one nil. Then they followed up that performance today, this morning, with a home defeat. To Fulham. Fulham. One nil. Liverpool now sits in seventh place. Tottenham's playing right now. I actually don't know the score. But they have two games in hand and they're just behind Liverpool, as well as Aston Villa, who also has two games in hand. So if they win those two games in hand, Liverpool sitting in ninth. So what's going on with Liverpool? They're completely broken. Against Chelsea. (laughs) They mustered up only seven shots, and one shot was on target. They finished the match with a .25 expected goals. Against Fulham, they had 16 shots. Oh, okay, well, that sounds pretty good, right? That's, that's a lot of shots. Three of them were on target. That's not very good. And their expected goals were .7. So all the talk about their defense, which is shitty, their attack is just... So brutally bad right now They're They could finish in ninth place. They could finish worse than ninth place.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: They went near. They went like three and a half years without losing at Anfield. And they've now lost six in a row. And that includes Fulham, Burnley, and Brighton, I believe. That's insane. Fulham's in the relegation zone right now. Shout out to Fulham, by the way, because this podcast Bones first, then I got on board. We've said all along Fulham is not getting relegated, and they're knocking on the door of just they're just about out of that range. But so I don't know what's going on in Liverpool. I fucking love it though.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean I can't deny that. It's it's nice to see Well, first of all, I'd just like to say that in this match, I actually thought that Liverpool lined up incredibly arrogantly. Like For against an opponent that is extremely aggressive, they're playing for their lives. You you can't line up with a back line that is Andy Robertson, Nathaniel Phillips, Rice Williams, and Nico Williams. Like, are you fucking kidding me? You gotta, and they, they bring in TAA at, I think it was at half. Now it was late in the second half. And then they bring in Fabinho a bit later on, too like why if you're just if you're trying to snap a losing streak at home you're playing against a team that hasn't lost i think in i think i don't think they've lost in like 15 matches or something like that sure they've drawn quite a bit but and and haven't won but they haven't lost and well, so you're going to roll out a defense like that are you shitting me
0: yeah they had a ridiculous run it was ended this past week right they uh they got kind of fucked over against Tottenham with that handball
1: yeah uh, yeah that's
0: right but uh yeah, I mean, their Fulham is on an, a ridiculous run with very little to show, and I agree. I mean, I it was a gamble on Liverpool's part. Fabinho needs rest; he was just coming off an injury and, and was just thrown right back in. Trent Alexander-Arnold is not a good defender, regardless. So I, I don't know if that's that big of a deal. He doesn't play. Well, but, he's
1: definitely better than Nico Williams.
0: <laughs> maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I don't know, um, and like even even up top. You know, Jota gets the start, but he he's just coming back from injury too. He was he didn't play for like two months, and last yeah. he he started or he played the last match, and then you're giving him the start immediately. I don't know. It's just none of it. Well,
1: similarly, Naby Keita hasn't played in like I don't I don't know what's been going on with him, but he never plays. And then Shakiri got the start, which I actually appreciate. He's been doing well when he's gotten time, so <laughs> I think that 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 was a a decent call i wouldn't have really objected to that but i mean jesus christ like what what is this
0: i don't know man but you know what i do know
1: that you like it
0: i that i love it and not only do i love it but let me remind you we do have an outstanding guinness bet with this one too so oh, uh, damn it yep you i gave you pretty pharaoh faro- <laughs> favorable uh I guess you could say odds with this one because at the time we made the bet, they were sitting in fourth place. And I said that I bet you they finish worse than fifth. You say fifth or better. Well, they're now sitting in seventh with the potential to falling to ninth.
1: Do you feel yeah.
0: how do you feel about that? Do you think you think they'll turn it around? Because honestly, if there's anyone, I'm no
1: stranger to buying you Guinness, so whatever.
0: Yeah, I just a reminder if you lose that bet. And then also if you lose tomorrow, then you'll be in the whole eleven Guinnesses for me. So just you know mm. just a friendly reminder. Yeah. Just a friendly reminder. So I guess there this brings up a lot of questions about Liverpool after the season, right? So there's there's a couple of things. One thing is there's a lot of talk about Klopp leaving. Um Rumors started popping up this week. It's kind of been like a long-known projected thing. I didn't think it would happen this quickly, but the idea of Klopp leaving Liverpool to go manage Germany, that rumor popped up this week. It's an interesting idea. It'd be kind of crazy to think, you know, if you look back a year ago, they're on top of the mountain. They just came off a season where they won the Champions League. They just ended Liverpool's 30-year drought of not winning the Premier League or the, the English League. They're on top of the mountain, And then you look at them now, this is almost as bad. Actually, this is, sorry, this is worse. Worse of a fall from grace than Tottenham with Pochettino from taking them to the Champions League final yeah. to getting sacked mid-season the next year. Like, this is yeah. a worse fall from grace. So, on top yeah. of that, they most likely are going to... Miss out on Champions League football. What does that mean to their current roster? And also, what does that mean for them recruiting?
1: It's a tough one, particularly because in recent windows, John Henry of Fenway Sports Group has kind of flexed his muscles and said, I'm not giving you more money to go into the transfer market and make a huge splash. So it certainly helps or hinders their ability to do so. Uh, they haven't been fantastic on offloading players. Like they got 20 million for. Ryan Brewster last year. Great, but I, I can't, I, I, I don't have a ton of examples in my mind of I them. Offloading? Yeah.
0: What about Coutinho?
1: Yeah, but that was, what, five years ago?
0: No, I don't think so. It was more recent than that. It was with Klopp, though. Klopp got rid of him.
1: I think it was Klopp's first first year, first full year. He also, did he also sell
0: Raheem Sterling? I think he did. No, 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 no. Was that, that Was before that? No, that, that was, was Rodgers. Yeah,
1: that was Rodgers. But, uh, like, I, you know, there's a number of teams that, you know, the bigger teams that have a ton of players out on loan, they'll ship out or, or sell a, a number of players um, in the summer and get a decent amount. Like, not a ton, but at least they're getting some cash inflow. Whereas Liverpool, from my estimation, doesn't do that very often. Um so it, doesn't, it just doesn't really help, particularly when your chairman is tightening him purse strings and you're missing Champions League, which is going to make him tighten the purse strings even more. I don't think it's good, but I, I feel as though if they do lose, I think there's a couple of players that will feel as though they owe it to themselves and the team to get them back into the Champions League position. So I don't know that there will be a mass exodus, it's it's always tough to tough to make these calls. You're you're really just playing
0: playing it safe here, just standing in the middle. I could see it. Well honestly, I, I don't, I don't want you to make
1: I don't want you to make another Guinness bet and for me to lose. So I, I can't I can't accept anything. Right. Any I won't any attack more, you I won't any attack more liabilities.
0: You. I won't attack you with Guinness bets for this. Uh, but so in my head I, I think I see Virgil van Dyke sticking around and I see Henderson, obviously. Mainly because Henderson is going down as a Liverpool legend. He's the captain. He's, he's going to retire with, with Liverpool most likely. Vir- Virgil van Dijk, he's going to be coming back from injury. They obviously could sell him, but they don't want to. He's a leader. You flip it over to the attack. Mane and Salah. What do you do about them? Because those guys could definitely play for pretty much any team in the world. And you could definitely get a hefty fee for them. What do, you, what do you think the play is there?
1: You know, I, maybe they would sell Mane because I think that they, you know, if they want to play him there, you know, they've got Curtis Jones weighing the wings. Yeah, he's played pretty well um, in, in Mane's stead here and there. Maybe they let him go. I, I just don't think that they have someone that can be a, an able replacement for Salah. So I think they would have to keep him.
0: All right. Okay, so really that's all we're touching on when it comes to the Premier League this this episode, because although there was a ton of matches this past week, there's just so many lopsided boring matchups. So these are like the major, major headlines that we really wanted to touch on. You get the idea. Manchester United's on cloud nine, but they're back to work tomorrow. Manchester City, they're brushing this off. They're the the league is pretty much locked up. If anything, this is a good thing for Manchester City. It's a hot take, but it's they're, you know, they had the pressure of this win streak going on and that's the least important thing to them right now. They're, they 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 want to lock up the league. They want to win the Champions League. Will they? Probably not. But that's got to be their highest priority. This match was a reality check. They're not all high and mighty. On a given day they can lose. So, this is probably going to help Manchester City in the end. They won't pull Liverpool and completely unravel, I can tell you that. Great week potentially for Chelsea. Win against a you know a big six uh, rival in Liverpool. Then they're really their their toughest top four competition. Everton tomorrow, they can pull off a win. Huge moves for them to get in the top four. Another couple Guinness to uh, I guess get bones out of the hole. Then Liverpool just a dumpster fire, and it's a beautiful thing. So before (laughs) we wrap it up, once again. We got a U.S. Men's National Team update. It was a frigging crazy week for the U.S. Men's National Team. I don't know what's going on with them. Bones, take it away. What happened this past week?
1: Well, honestly, I think that they've been listening to the podcast and realized that they may or may not have been included in my starting 11 for the Gold Cup. So they're like, you got to really turn it up.
0: That's <laughs> a good point. That's a good point. Just so the listeners know, this past week, we actually recorded an episode dedicated to the U.S. Men's National Team Bones took us through his ideal starting 11 specifically for the Gold Cup coming up. And he also touched on a couple other players that could break through, but basically gave you players to watch so that you can catch him in the final third of this club season going into the Summer's Gold Cup. So just wanted to plug that quickly. Check it out. Last episode, Bones, continue.
1: Juventus have finally exercised its buy option for West McKinney. And what I need to correct myself uh, from from Thursday or Friday's episode on is that he is actually the third most expensive, not second most expensive U S player. So first being Christian Pulisic, second being Serginio Dest, third, Mr. West McKinney rolling in at 18.5 million euros with a potential for 6.5 million on, in add-ons next, Daryl DK. So when we discussed the U S men's national team last week, he just scored his, I think second goal in, six matches they uh, barnsley had won all six matches matches he had played in since making the loan move from orlando city in the winter transfer window he scored once again this weekend so that makes seven games for barnsley seven wins pretty good start and he's putting himself into a position where i had listed josie outdoor as the most able number nine with great hold of play great ability in the box daryl dk is playing himself into that position particularly because the 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 goal that he scored this weekend was an absolute bangor from outside the box. So then we go to Brennan Aronson, who I've been raving about the past couple of weeks. He scored midweek for Stalzburg in the Austrian Cup. And then this weekend, he's playing one of his fellow compatriots, Taylor Booth, in the Austrian Bundesliga. Both Brennan Aronson and Taylor Booth scored. Great stuff. And both have really hit their stride with their respective squads. It's actually Taylor Booth's first professional goal, so great for him. Two guys really to look forward to. Next, Cameron Carter-Vickers scored in the 88th minute. Uh, it was a match winner to bur- put Burnmouth into a promotional playoff position in the cha- in the championship. That would be great for him to finally get into a position where he's playing in the Prem and with a, a a club that has played in the Premier League in the recent past. So. Good stuff for him. Then, with Barcelona coming from behind in aggregate to Sevilla, Serginio Des becomes the first American in history to reach the Copa del Rey final, so really cool for him. Josh Sargent scores for Bremen on a nice header. He's now scored in back-to-back Bundesliga games for the first time in his professional career and has equaled his record for the Bundesliga goals in a season with four and then exceeded previous, his previous record of total goals across all competitions with six. Next, we'll go to Brian Reynolds, who made a big winter transfer window move to Roma. So over the weekend, he made his debut on the first-team squad, did not get in, but was included in the first-team squad. So great progress there. Next, Jordan Siabachu, who we've talked about. He plays on loan at Young Boys, uh, although is on loan from Rene in France. He has scored eight goals in nine games since the start of February, so another really good attacking. He's a forward, although not a similar similar style, similar type to a Josie Alts or Daryl DK. He's a little bit more slight, a little bit more mobile, but another great attacking option moving into the Gold Cup. Johnny Cardoso, who made his U.S. men's national team debut in the – I think it was – I can't remember where it was, but he, he played against Wales. It was a number of, of months ago. Um, he actually scored his first professional goal for international over the weekend. And lastly, you may have, you may recall one of the last U.S. men's national Teams update, uh, national team updates. I made talked about this guy, Luca De La Torre. He spent his entire youth career with Fulham, got a couple first team, first team caps, but wasn't getting consistent time. He moved to Heracles in the air division. He scored his first air Divisie goal today. It was a 90th minute winner and so, just a continuation of a strong first season in the Dutch top flight.
0: I went down a Daryl DK rabbit hole after I saw that goal I scored for Barnsley, and I am on the hype train because the guy is a beast.
1: He's an absolute
0: his hold play, His hold-up play is phenomenal, which is actually ideal for this U.S. men's national team. Cause we just have so many people that are fast and can score that can run off of them, but he himself is quick. He's super strong. Like there's a highlight of him just brushing off defenders. Like they're nothing.
1: Absolute pure power. And he's huge. He's absolutely huge.
0: And he's not just like a power player. Like he's good with the ball at his feet and he obviously can finish. It's just, yeah, it's, I mean, his competition so far has been the MLS and then, you know, the championship. The championship's tough to fit. I mean, it's a physical league, so he, the fact that he's doing it there too is is huge. As he made that move to Barnsley, there were, I guess, the Orlando City exact tease that there was also Premier League play, uh, clubs that were eyeing eyeing Daryl DK. So him going to Barnsley was going to be kind of like a uh, a showcase for him. So if he care, if he picks this up, or sorry, if he continues this. Don't be shocked if we see him getting scooped up from Orlando City and playing in the Premier League for a team next year, which would be fucking awesome.
1: He's super young. He's 20 years old. Uh, He's just coming off of his first year in the MLS. It's also worth noting that he went to college for, I think, a year, played for UVA, actually absolutely tore it up. It's very uncommon for players to go to college, make the leap to – you know, it's more common to make the leap to the MLS, but very uncommon for – um, college players to make the leap to, to European soccer. So this would be really interesting. And in, in, in the same calendar year, both Daryl DK and Jordan Morris, Jordan Morris have been gone to Stanford, two guys who play college, college soccer, getting opportunities at, at big European clubs or, you know, European clubs, I would, yeah. I would still consider championship clubs pretty big. So, yeah. I mean, really good look for college athletes, but also us athletes just generally.
0: Yeah. For sure. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. If you enjoyed that, make sure you rate, review and subscribe. Also, we're on Twitter. Uh, we're, we're new to the Twitter game, but we're, we're looking to interact with our listeners there. So you can find us at two touch pod. That's the handle for the, the tweet, the tweeter. So yeah, that's going to do it for us. Stay tuned this Friday. We're probably going to be having a little bit of a debate, a debate about, two players that a lot of people are talking about i'm gonna tease it as that we uh it should be a fun one it'll be a little competition between me and bones based on his arguments for arsenal in this episode i have a feeling i'm gonna win but you know we'll see
1: i feel like you're being a little over exuberant i'm just trying to lure you in for an absolute domination
0: oh okay got it you're just playing me i like that all right the the long con okay well (laughs) time to sign off thanks for listening We'll uh, we'll you'll hear from us on Friday.